Warning. The Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. favorite podcast, Kingdom Casts Podcast, for the week of February 10th, 2021. Joining us once again is Sandra Stingray Swindle. Too soon, too soon. (laughs) I'm Stan Daniel, and with me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. It turns out that a producer slash writer slash director in Hollywood is actually a jackass. Are you shocked? Not today. (laughs) Well, we've been talking about Ray Fisher trying to find out what the issue was on the set of Justice League with Joss Whedon because Ray had filed complaints about Joss Whedon and Jeff Johns and then later threw Walter Hamada into the mix. And it's ultimately the Walter Hamada thing that killed Ray when Ray stated that he viewed Walter Hamada as an enabler and that he was not going to work on any projects that Walter Hamada was involved in. And Walter Hamada is head of the DC movie verse, the DC universe, DC entertainment section of Warner Brothers. So Warner Brothers turned around and said that after that statement, they're done with Ray. As of today, February 10th, 2021, Charisma Carpenter of Buffy the Vampire Slayer fame has released some bombshells concerning Joss Whedon. We're not going to read the entirety of the tweets, but some of the most damning stuff talking about the ongoing passive-aggressive threats to fire her, which she says wreaks havoc on a young actor's self-esteem. I can understand threats, passive-aggressive threats or threats otherwise to fire somebody from their job. I can play havoc with anybody. And callously calling her fat to colleagues when she was four months pregnant and weighing 126 pounds. She goes on to say he was mean and biting, disparaging about others openly, and often played favorites, pitting people against one another to compete and vie for his attention and approval. She goes on later in the tweet, and she states that at one time when she was six months pregnant, that they called her in at 1 a.m. to work when her doctor had told her she needed to rest. So she comes out with that, and Michelle Trechtenberg, also of Buffy fame, And a couple of other of the Buffy stars come out in support of Charisma Carpenter stating that Michelle Trachtenberg actually stated because period, this must period, be known period, as a teenager period with his not appropriate behavior, very period, not period appropriate. That's in reference to Joss Whedon also. And Sarah Michelle Geller had released a statement on her Instagram, saying that while I am proud to have my name associated with Buffy Summers, I don't want to be forever associated with the name Joss Whedon. I am more focused on raising my family and surviving a pandemic currently, so I will not be making any further statements at this time, but I stand with all survivors of abuse and am proud of them for speaking out. It does seem that Joss Whedon has an extensive history of, well, how would you describe it, Sandra? More than one of those actresses called it a toxic work environment. Okay, toxic. So he has a history of being toxic. 
that's what they did say. I mean, they used the, uh, the same term as Ray Fisher. But I know last podcast, I said I just thought that Ray Fisher's accusation was was far too vague compared to Josh Whedon's what we knew of his history. I guess if he has favorites, he must treat them differently because he has a certain cadre of actors who worked with him more than once and seem to enjoy his company. As I said last time, I thought Ray Fisher should have just come out and said what exactly his abuse was. Fortunately, Charisma Carpenter did so. I think if Ray Fisher had come out with a statement like Charisma Carpenter did, then I think his situation would have been different. Charisma, in my opinion, has done more with her one tweet than Ray has through the entire ordeal. Charisma comes forward and says, I have a problem with this guy and I should have stated it 20 years ago, but I didn't. And I'm paraphrasing here. And then she systematically lists a series of of incidents. By listing those series of instances that she experienced with the individual, Joss Whedon, they can either be denied or not denied by the accused party. We didn't exactly get that from Ray in the public, although I believe the fact that the independent counsel that Warner Brothers hired to come in and investigate how actionable anything was, they even interviewed Charisma Carpenter also. They made their suggestions and then they left, and Warner Brothers has said that action has been taken retroactively. Well, I'm going to say it's safe to assume now that that action that Warner Brothers took was disassociating themselves with Joss Whedon from a few of the projects that he had been hired to work on. There was a couple of movies being shopped to Warner Brothers by Whedon's production company, and also he was going to do something for HBO Max, wasn't he? He was, he was attached to Batgirl at one point. He's named uh, uh, the Nevers. Yeah, that's Nevers. What called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for HBO Max. Batgirl went by the wayside after Justice League came out. Batgirl was off the board with Justice League's poor performance at the box office. So, I think you're right if Ray had gone about this differently, but more important, had Ray not brought Walter Hamada's name into it. I think that's the major factor for the rift between him and Warner Brothers at this point. I don't think there was any rift between Warner Brothers and Ray Fisher. I think Ray Fisher just said that he wasn't working with Walter Hamada, and Warner Brothers said, well... I'm sorry, he's our president, and we're if you're gonna work for us, you gotta have to work with Walter Hamada. So Well the way they well, the way they stated it though was it didn't matter one way or the other. Let me reference something else. You remember Megan Fox? Do you remember the situation with her and the Transformers movies? Yeah. Megan Fox was in an interview. She was talking about what a jerk Michael Bay could be at times. Now She didn't mean it necessarily in the same way or as it came to light. She did not intend for that to be taken in the form of of harassment, so on and so forth. She talked about that during the audition, he'd have them dress a different way, a certain way, lean over the car and so on and so forth, which was a scene in the first Transformers movies. She was kind of disparaging against Michael Bay. Well, Michael Bay didn't think anything of it. He shrugged it off, didn't care. They were about to go in production on another Transformers movie, and he fully intended for her to show up for the third installment of the Transformer movies. It wasn't even a question in his mind. However, who is executive producer on the Transformer movies, Albert? Spielberg. That's right. And Mr. Spielberg got wind of that interview, told Mr. Bay, 
I will not have her disparaging any of the cast members or any of the crew members on this movie in that manner because there's too much. Now, he didn't say that. This is the supposition. When there's too much money on the table, then you get rid of any problems that you're going to have with the press or PR, any of your actors or anything along those lines. This is also how Edward Norton lost the role of the Hulk in the movie Avengers. He was trying to be a big fish in a small pond with Marvel Studios, who was not owned by Disney at the time, and refused to do press for the movie The Incredible Hulk because they didn't include 15 minutes of cutscenes that he wanted them to include, which when you see the cutscenes, they don't really make a difference at all. Because he didn't do press, because he didn't go on Letterman, because he didn't go on Leno, they estimate that they lost about 15 to 20 percent of the Incredible Hulk's box office because the way the general populace interpret that is there's a problem with the movie. Otherwise, he'd be out here advertising it when it was really just power play. And so instead, we've ended up with Mark Ruffalo as the Incredible Hulk, which I think all in all was a step up. But generally, the uh, big studios like this are going to dismiss people. You know, these orders come from higher up. And if you say something like that against Walter Hamada, you're issuing a mandate to the studio where they've either got to circle the wagons or fold. And if they fold, it's going to cost them way more money than if they circle the wagons and make a stand, especially given what they probably know from the investigation by the outside counsel. I don't really care about Warner Brothers or Walter Hamada or any of that. Yeah, I understand that's going to be Warner Brothers' take to cover their butts, and that's all they're concerned about. There are substantiated claims and there are unsubstantiated claims out there. The substantiated claims, the ones that have been reported as fact by Variety, Hollywood Reporter, other sources, is that Ray Fisher really resented being made to say booyah, which is Cyborg's catchphrase from the animated cartoon Teen Titans. And that was something that Joss Whedon absolutely was going to have in the Justice League movie. And he did. Well, he should have. That should have been in there. Ray didn't feel like it should have. We know that. On the unsubstantiated side of that, now that's substantiated. He didn't want to say it. Whedon wanted him to say it. It was in the Justice League movie. Snyder has come forward and said, there will be no booyah in the Snyder cut of Justice League. But it will be black and white and 17 hours long. So on the unsubstantiated side of that, They're saying that the Booyah situation is part of what caused the problem between Fisher and Wheaton. Now, I'm sure it was way more than that. I'm sure there were other things that factored into it, too, because I absolutely cannot believe you would risk your acting career over whether or not a comic book character says the line Booyah in a live action movie, especially when diehard fans like Albert thinks it's a mandate for them to say Booyah. It needs to be said at least once. Are you serious about that? Yes, I'm dead serious about that. I didn't even know that was a thing. I mean, it's been a thing for years, apparently, but I didn't even know. I ran a damn comic book shop and was not aware that Cyborg's catchphrase was Booyah. It was from the Teen Titans Go cartoons. All right, so Gal Gadot apparently has said something on this, too. I may or may not be looking at this differently than you, Stan, but I mean, I just think it's just a sad day all around. I don't think anybody should have to work in a toxic work environment. Well, right? I mean, neither do I, but yet I mean, here we gee, are. Whedon should have, yeah, Whedon should have been shown the door a long time ago. Anyway, most of America works in a toxic work environment. 
When I read Charisma Carpenter's tweet, I thought, oh my God, that's awful. What a jackass he is. Can't believe nobody on that set could have said, man, lay off, she's pregnant, or anything else. And I feel sympathy for her. But the fact of the matter is, hell, I've been called far worse than fat by the people that's over me in different jobs. You want to talk about, hell, there was one manager that threw a damn telephone, broke a table in half in a room full of people during a meeting. And you all just stood there. I hate to say it, but watch Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. That's the reality of things. And that's even sugarcoated because at no time is there any real physical harm to anybody. My wife, Denise, I've said this before, worked for Sony Entertainment for a number of years. She worked as executive assistant for a man named Brad Cravoy, who was executive producer on Dumb and Dumber, among other things. But that was the big thing at the moment. She respects the hell out of him. She talks of him in a way that sometimes makes me jealous. But... The deal is, is that when she gets into the stories and the nitty gritty of what she and her late 20s went through and experienced, it's like, well, maybe you should tweak this out, but not against Brad Cravoy. She'd never do that. If you've never experienced working in a situation where the owner, the boss, manager, the immediate manager, the regional manager or something does not berate and act abusively or toxic to you, you're in the minority. I don't, you know, I don't, you're, I you're very to, fortunate if you I have to disagree. I mean, I just think, again, that was diff- that was a different time. What I'm saying is what was acceptable when at 20 years ago at Buffy's time or when Glengarry Glenn Ross was written, that's over 20 years ago, Stan. And none of that. Walk into is any none, car lot. None get of that. Get a job at any car lot right now. You any can, car lot. Sam, I'm saying that is not acceptable now. Just like it's not acceptable to use racial slurs when you talk to people. That is not I, acceptable. And and I'm going to if, say point blank. When all of the abuse in all of the toxic situations I've personally been in, I can't recall one using a racial slur. I'm just I'm not saying that in the middle of Alabama racial slurs. I'm just saying that what people got away with 20 years ago is not what is acceptable nowadays. And I'm going to tell you, the car lot immediately comes to mind because that's where the guy threw the phone, broke the thing, almost the guy that was sitting at the end of the table almost had to get stitches. I recall that situation vividly, and that was just almost a daily occurrence still going on out there. Dear Lord, talk to any Walmart employee. See if they feel the same way. Well, you know, they're not getting toxically abused by... They should, or they're not going to be getting to, uh, toxically abused at that level by management. Now they may get toxically abused by their their customers, but man, I mean, you get sued for that <laughs> kind of stuff nowadays. You would think so, but no, no because don't. people need the jobs. You you bring it up and you get fired. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's nowhere to go with Walmart, with Amazon, or anything else. We all hear the news stories every day, but yet, how many lawsuits have actually been leveled against them? Not many. I can tell you right now that the Walmart that we frequent the most is a toxic work environment. I can tell by the way the employees act. I can tell by the way I've seen the higher ups there interact with the employees. And that's in front of customers. So you know when nobody is around what's going on. People need these jobs and people don't have the wherewithal like you or I would 
to say, I'm going to sue. I will not stand for this abuse. Albert worked for a very toxic individual for 16 years. Well, I wouldn't say that I have the wherewithal to sue, but I would say that I at least have the wherewithal to say, okay, I'm not working here. Oh, you see, that's the extent of it. But a lot of these people are trapped in these jobs. Well, and a lot of it, these people think they're trapped in these jobs. They don't there think are, it. They know it. Where are you going to go? Are some people, of course, there are some places and situations where you're trapped in a job. Like Charisma Carpenter said, what ends up happening is people that are abused at a certain level end up just, for a variety of reasons, end up taking it. And it damages them. And if Charisma Carpenter is saying that with her multi-million dollar a year Buffy contract at the time, about that multi-million. No, I don't think she had a multi-million dollar about the about the situation. I mean, she was rich. I mean, yeah, she was rich. She's currently worth four million. But most of the Buffy stars, even the ones that were on the series, have a worth of ten million or more, typically according to Forbes. But that's not a certain level. Imagine the working mother that has three kids that's at Walmart right now and still having to get government services in order to feed the kids. Her manager can say whatever the hell he wants, and she's, for the most part, going to have to sit there and take it. Well, I'm not trying to speak to every situation, Stan, but I am saying that I think there are psychological issues that trap people in any number of things. And I'm not just talking about jobs. I mean, I'm talking about relationships, jobs, the rut they feel their life is in or whatever. Oh, there's, 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 yeah. th- okay, so there's, there's other issues going on. These issues probably come from the abuse. But 20 years ago, Stan, I mean, it's not like today. You're still, I mean, a, long way, you're still a long way off from any form of uh, utopia workers environment. 20 years ago, is the difference is, is we didn't have Twitter and we couldn't go hashtag me too. And that's taken it a long way and brought a lot of awareness to it. However, for everyday people that are not movie stars or anything else, they're enduring the same thing, if not worse, right now in their work environments. And you, you know them. You know them. You interact with them. You know, you may not be best friends with them or whatnot, or you may be best friends with them and they just don't discuss it. There are several toxic situations going on out there. There are some horror stories about Elizabeth Berkeley on the set of Showgirls, but she wasn't being harassed. The horror stories are things like they had to constantly check her temperature while she was in the water for the pool scenes. She is kept naked and in and out. They were seeing to her well-being, but at the same time, it was a highly difficult situation for her. Can you imagine standing around naked all day for this, shooting this pool scene with this other actor? His difficult as that is. Yeah, actors have it hard. Uh, I don't doubt Charisma Carpenter at all, and I feel for her. And Joss Whedon is, and again, I'm not a big Joss Whedon guy. I like some of the stuff he's made. I don't care anything about Buffy or Angel. Serenity, in all honesty, Serenity, the one season of it was fine. But yeah, Joss is a jackass. So is the manager of this Walmart. So is the manager of this Arby's. So is the manager of this Aldi's, especially Aldi's. Aldi's is horrible. There's a lot of people enduring these situations now that don't have the ability to uh, reach out and tweet their problems. Not saying that they don't have access to Twitter. Just echoing what Albert said before about they could lose their jobs over it and they can't afford to lose their jobs. You talk about it so long, there's just ain't nothing left to talk about. I was about to say. (laughs) So in conclusion, 
The DC Cinematic Universe has been and continues to be a horrible situation for everyone involved, from the actors to the viewers, mostly the viewers, and should be shut down immediately. In fact, in light of this entire situation, AT&T should immediately divest itself of all Warner Brothers employees and then divest itself of the Warner Brother intellectual property holdings, selling the intellectual properties to Universal. This is for the best. We have to stop the madness. I think that's the conclusion we've come to on this, isn't it? No, Sam, that's all you. Yeah, I <laughs> No, come on, Sandra. <laughs> for the record, the- I just want to say I'm really, really sorry that Charisma Carpenter had to put up with that shit. We all are. And for whatever Michelle Trechtenberg yeah, had whatever. to put up with. Yeah, she didn't come forward and she didn't list it out like Charisma did, which I'm with you, Sandra. I'd prefer them, if they're going to come forward and make a statement to the public, make a statement to the public, go all in. Anybody that's experienced that, and if you're in a position to be able to come forward and do that, by all means, you should do that. You should call them in because this is where this is how you get the abuse to stop is by calling the attention to it. Have your facts straight and be ready to go into it. And it takes a lot of courage to do it. Be sure you're willing to lose whatever it is you've got. That's part of the reason why she couldn't say it 20 years ago and can say it now. She's an actress. She was an up-and-coming actress, and she didn't want that to affect the rest of her career. She was also a single mom and the breadwinner, so yeah. Yeah, she goes on to say that in her tweet as well. But yeah, it's the same thing that kept Weinstein safe. Weinstein? Yeah, same Weinstein. Same thing that kept Weinstein safe. All right, moving on to other top-notch fantasy sci-fi related news. Albert, who's not a part of Star Wars anymore? <laughs> Mark Hamill. What? <laughs> No, we kicked him out a long time ago. Gina Carano, who plays Cara Dune on The Mandalorian, will no longer be on the show, according to Gizmodo, reporting from io9.com. Apparently, she subscribed to one too many conspiracy theories. You know more about this than I do, Albert. What went wrong? She wouldn't shut up on social media, so that's the end of that. I think the lesson for all of us here is shut up on social media, he said, as he recorded an hour and a half long podcast. I was about to say... (laughs) This podcast is going to be 10 hours. It's going to be longer than Snyder's Justice League cut. <laughs> and I'm going to find the licensing in order to play Hallelujah in the background during that. <laughs> We're going to release this podcast in black and white. Carano had posted conspiracy theories about the election. She's just not being at all politically correct. She said something about the Holocaust. Did she? I don't know. Well, allegedly it says that uh, her social media posts denigrating people based on their cultural and religious identities are abhorrent and unacceptable. The actress shared a TikTok post with a comparison of the divided political climate to Nazi Germany. Yeah, that would do it. <laughs> you have to understand, she's a former MMA fighter. Mm-hmm. If you ever watched it or listened to any of Joe Rogan's podcasts, they're all that way. Most of them, those MMA guys are, are like Joe Rogan. Maybe I haven't listened to him. I only listen to Joe Rogan on when he's got somebody interesting, like a physicist or something like that. I mean, he's usually pretty good with them. But I'm not a consistent. I don't subscribe. I just look at who he's got on it. Really, I don't have a need to listen to Andy Dick's opinion on anything. So I skip those episodes. Are you saying that she tries to be controversial? Or No, they're just a bunch of idiots. Oh, okay. <laughs> bunch of, they're a bunch of meatheads. Okay. They've, they've been hitting the head one too many times. Possibly. Maybe they never needed to be hit in the head to end up the way they were. It's just the way they were. Or maybe it's something in the personality that draws them to MMA fighting. 
to begin well, with. MMA is a, is a very large fake alpha male thing to it. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, but it's not like wrestling. It's I mean they beat the snot out of each other. Don't I mean that's that's Stan, they have rigged one on one combats have been rigged for thousands of years. Why would the MMA be any different today? Okay, so that's not blood in the ring. They're not. I don't, don't know enough. Nothing. I have not sat through an MMA fight. But you have to understand, okay. Sam. One-on-one <laughs> combat sports have been rigged for thousands of years. Yeah, didn't you uh, watch Gladiator, Stan? Is it okay <laughs> if I don't understand any of it, if I never watch any of it? It's fine with me. That's so, a, I mean, that's like any of these fighters aren't paid to take a dive or fed a bunch of nobodies to pad the records, a bunch of garbage. So no more Cara Dune on The Mandalorian. Lucasfilm has no interest in employing her in the future, stating that her social media posts denigrating people based on their cultural and religious identities are abhorrent and unacceptable. Well, they could always so, just recast her. I don't think there will be a need to recast her. I mean, yeah. you can move on from, you can just have somebody else in that spot. I'm sure Carl Weathers is going to show up in The Mandalorian. Well, I mean, The Mandalorian jumped a shark, so they got to figure something out. Oh, they did? You don't know that it jumped the shark? We had a CGI Luke Skywalker in the last episode. I know, I know. And Luke Skywalker is a bit of a Mary Sue. The things he gets away with doing are completely unrealistic given his experience level. But the time period that The Mandalorian is set in, they couldn't bring Ray Skywalker into it. They couldn't bring Ray into it. So we had to go with what was readily available at hand. Mm. Anyway. Anywho. <laughs> I will say that I enjoyed her character in The Mandalorian. I did too. I'm sorry that the actress. Well, if you're going to be a dumbass, you're going to have to pay for it eventually. Well, well, thank you. Thank you, Albert, for saying what I didn't want to I don't say. care. I don't care what my political views are or anything else. If I've got a job that's in that sort of situation and in the public, you're not hearing tweet one out of me or statement one out of me that's going to be controversial or jeopardize what I love doing and make money at. You're just not. My Twitter feed's going to be nothing but, hey, I'm on The Mandalorian. Watch me on The Mandalorian. Look, here's a picture of me with The Mandalorian. That sort of thing. It's not a matter of free speech. It's a matter of common sense. You're right, Stan. Thank you, Sandra. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with you, Stan. Thank you, Albert. You're welcome. <laughs> Stan is going. Speaking of toxic environments, <laughs> you know, I had to say what I said. Next week, y'all just sit the podcast out. I'll handle it. Dan will just ramble nonsensically about one thing for five hours. <laughs> Sacrifices we make for our listeners, Albert. <laughs> Come on, Stan. Let's get on. Let's move on. What are we talking about right. next? Uh, Mindy Kaling is going to voice Velma, Velma Dinkley, in a new HBO animated series. Yeah, I don't care. I was all about this until I read Mindy Kaling saying, it's going to be an origin story and we're going to find out who Velma is and how she deals with her budding sexuality. And then I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Which is exactly why I don't care about it. Velma Dinkley is from Scooby-Doo. She's the character that always figures out everything in Scooby-Doo. Why do cartoon characters need budding sexuality? Because people are unoriginal hacks. It's easier to do that and put effort to try to make a good show. 
I think a solid animated series with Velma Dinkley going around solving crimes are fine. She's a cartoon character. She doesn't need a sexuality. You remember what Frank Oz said about the Muppets when a reporter asked him if Bert and Ernie, they were intended to be gay, weren't they? Frank Oz just flew off the handle and said, Muppets don't have sexuality. They do not exist below the waist. I kind of feel like that. I don't think. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> well, what about Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy? That's, that's not sexuality. That's comedic romance. That's played for, you know, her, oh, Kermit. That's classic vaudevillian comedy. That's not dealing with their budding sexuality. If it was, then Kermit would what have about, a lot of interspecies dating problems going on. What about here. Gonzo and Camilla? <laughs> Well, Gonzo and Camilla, Albert, is a classic vaudevillian chicken f***ing joke. <laughs> That's why Camilla is a chicken. Did you not understand that? No. That's still a vaudevillian throwback. A lot of the stuff the Muppets did when Frank Oz and Jim Henson were in charge was classic vaudevillian comedy. You can get a lot of their gags, a lot of their little stunts are drawn directly from Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, the original black and white comedian crowd that were the first to be in films before there were sound in films. Frank Oz is right. They don't exist below the waist. It's something you don't need to think of. Bert and Ernie are here to teach us our ABCs and how to get along with each other. What about Sam the Eagle and Sweetums? They existed below the waist. No, Sweetums did. Sam the Eagle does not. He's not. Okay, maybe. Big Bert does. And Snuffleupagus does. But you still, you don't have to think. Sandro, weigh in on this. (laughs) All I can think of is is that scene from Fractions Defenders where she Hulk is making a Moby Dick reference about the book Moby Dick. <laughs> and, and Namer says, was it written by an Atlantean? Is it about me? <laughs> no? Oh, I Never read, read it. it. Never read it. <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't care. <laughs> But you, but you need to have an opinion, Sandra. Yeah, my opinion is I don't care. <laughs> my opinion is. Let's, what about Statler and Waldorf? My opinion is, you know what? I haven't watched Scooby Doo in decades, like multiple decades. I think, in fact, I stopped watching Scooby Doo when I started reading comics. Okay, that's how long. The two been. movies, the <laughs> movies that Sarah Michelle Geller made, executive produced. Those two movies are bloody brilliant. Yeah, well, again, I mean, I they're not care. bad. They're outstanding. <laughs> they're all right, I suppose. I don't know how. I don't know why they both of them got snubbed at the Oscars. They're some of the greatest cinema to come out of Hollywood since God knows when. It's a talking dog. How could you not like a talking dog, Sandra? I've got two real dogs. Because dogs don't talk. It's too unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Now we're going to talk about some new comics. Finally. Exactly. Forgot what this damn podcast is about. Well, you have 20 seconds to explain your comic book to us, or if not, we both impale you with hammers. The hammer. I'm going to get the hammer. Real ones, not the toys. I'm going to tell you, we've done, I think, four of these, maybe five. I have yet to get my review in under 20 seconds. Which should come as a no surprise to anybody that's listened to me because I'm obviously long-winded and get distracted. <laughs> it really doesn't come as a surprise to the person that has to edit you. 
not at all shocked. <laughs> I'm going to get that 22nd one day. <laughs> Dark Horse Comics, Norse Mythology number five, writer Neil Gaiman, art by Various. It's just a beautiful book. I don't know what more I can say about this. I'm waiting for the trade. Yeah, it's very good. I mean, this is what, Fenris' story? Yeah, yeah, Ooh, for the most part. I forget how many issues this is supposed to be, but they'll also do one on Ella and Loki's children. It's a gorgeous book. Sandra's waiting on the trade. I'm going to get the hardcover also yeah, the hard when it cover. comes out. That's what I'm waiting for. Yeah, that's what you want on this. But it's $3.99 an issue, so invest in this, too. I don't see why not. Well, then you could, like, take it apart, hang the pages. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you could. It's just a gorgeous book. Again, it's based on Neil Gaiman's book, Norse Mythology. But the art is beautiful in it. It's solid storytelling. It's everything you could want in a comic book and more. I gave the score a five. How about you, Albert? Same thing. I gave it straight fives. Strike fives on Norse mythology number five. Sandra, you had, didn't read it, did you? No, but I'm just going to give it fives. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> on the covers. There we go. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, good. Are you going to weigh in on the DC future state stuff? Too? <laughs> uh, sure. I can do that. Pete Craig Russell. Anything by Pete Craig Russell yeah. is awesome. Yes, it is. You can't go wrong with Norse mythology from Dark Horse Comics. DC Comics. Albert, I think it's only fair for you to know that this is the week that I stop pulling my punches with DC Future State. <laughs> no more Mr. Nice Guy. No more sympathetic padding of my scores. Well, all right. To start, Future State, Supergirl. A writer, Marguerite Bennett. Artist, Marguerite Savage. Albert didn't read it. I did. Simple and straightforward. Crypto's still dead. So this book gets a score of zero. <laughs> I agree. Moving, moving right along. Future State, Justice League, number two. Writer Joshua Williamson, art by Robson Roca. Call me old-fashioned, but if I lived in the DCU and was caught in the middle of a meta being attack or slash fight, the drop-dead worst thing I could hear is Aquaman is here. I mean, I liked it. I, in reality, this is a more of a standard Justice League story than anything Snyder did. Oh, well, okay. If that's if that's what we're comparing it to, yes, compared to Snyder, this is Shakespeare. Ain't that what <laughs> we do with Avengers books? We compare them to Jason Aaron's. We're like, hey, it's better than Jason Aaron's. Straight fives. <laughs> I was able to read all the way through this one. Straight five. <laughs> Well, damn, now you got me reconsidering the score on this book. <laughs> Blaspheme against the Phoenix, straight fives. <laughs> Overall, though, I think the whole thing is cheapening the brand. Between Snyder's death metal Justice League fiasco and now this future state story, I believe that we can safely say that the Justice League now place just after the Great Lakes Avengers in super teams lineups. <laughs> The Great Lakes has Immortal Man. Well, there you go. That's why they're placing ahead of the Justice League at this point. And Flat Man. Look, I got to tell you, I'd rather have Gnort lead a team comprised of Topo, Jimmy Olsen, Martha Kent, and the corpse of Alfred to come to my rescue than any version of the Justice League that we've seen since New 52. I'll wait here while y'all Google Topo. Topo's the octopus, isn't he? I don't yes, know he who is. Topo is. Topo's the octopus. Aquaman's <laughs> octopus. <laughs> he had a great cameo in that movie. Yes, he did. 
I'm not lying here. That was the favorite, my favorite part of Aquaman was Topo. Yeah, I was sitting in that theater and woke up just in time to see him. <laughs> and I said, Topo! And the rest of the theater didn't enjoy me interrupting <laughs> to tell him the name of the octopus. Given what you said, Albert, I'm going to go ahead and give it a score of two. You're right. It's not as bad as Snyder's Ooh, stuff. Okay. okay. Well, I gave it fours. I really like these these couple of issues. I didn't. I may be burned out. Snyder may have burned me out. I may need some time away. But I do want the people responsible for the Jimmy Olsen comic book to write that team that I just described. Gnort, Topo, Jimmy Olsen, Martha Kent, and the corpse of Alfred. <laughs> I think Fraction could make it work. <laughs> it's practically just Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> <laughs> with a talking dog with a green lantern. <laughs> Future State, Green Lantern, number two, by various writers, various artists. I defy anyone to read Morrison's Green Lantern and then read this and not immediately demand everyone in the DC offices step down right now. Leave DC Comics and go attempt to revive Valiant for the three Valiant fans that still exist out there. Oh, Stan. I think there's four. I'm sorry. Four Valiant fans that still exist out there. Well, one of these stories is not a future state story. No, the last one wasn't. Wasn't it illustrating that somehow Hal Jordan's responsible for all of this, and now a new person is going to kick Hal Jordan's butt? Well, we'll get to that when we read the actual real Green Lantern book. Future state, for this being just a two-month thing, I'm fine with it. I enjoyed the first story. The second story wasn't much with the the kid with, with the glove, with the gauntlet. I didn't think so either. Seems like the third one's a setup between post-Morrison and then whatever's online for Green Lantern. Yeah, whoever takes over Green Lantern after Morrison's last issue next month, that's what this last story leads into. But I still do not at all. Like the first story, the treatment of Gnort, I don't even like the way they're writing John in that. And I like John. Well, I like Gnort. That's why I'm mad at him. These characters deserve better. But still, I gave Future State Green Lantern number two Twos across the board. Mostly the artwork and the second story was fair, but the writing was not. I gave a straight threes. Future State, Dark Detective, number three by Various. It's got great art in it. I really like this art. The story, I mean, there's nothing much to the story. It's mostly just him running from the magistrate, I guess you could say. And then then the other Batman shows up. And that's... The art's fine in this. The art really is decent in this. But how many times do DC Comics have to tell you? Bruce Wayne sucks. There's no Bruce Wayne fans anyway. You're all just fans of the costume and the name Batman. And they say it point blank in this issue, and they make it come out of Bruce's mouth. Remember when Marvel replaced Peter Parker with an exact clone of himself and the entire comic book industry almost tanked because of it? No need to worry about that happening here because every time Pamela Lifford slaps you in the face with the DC logo, you all come crawling back and say, more mommy. Batman is dead. I've made the declaration. Don't you do the same thing with Star Wars? Absolutely not. Star Wars is top-notch storytelling. There's no flaws in Star Wars. I say so. All right, whatever. Uh, I actually did give the art in this a four. The art was pretty good. Next Batman looks far better in this book than he does in his own. Yeah. Don't you think? I mean, he really did. As a matter of fact, I may have preferred Next Batman more if you had gotten this artist on that book, but I still don't like what they're doing to Bruce Wayne. So the only thing I did was give the art a four. This book's going to get a 1.3 from me. Well, the main the main story is written by Mariko Tamaki. Yeah. Dan Mora did the art. Then there's the backup. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting about the Grifter. Which is, well, it's just a throwaway yeah. Grifter book. 
I mean, Aren't all grifter books throw away grifter books? Pretty much. I mean, if, if you like grifter, you'll probably like that backup. That's about it, though. Very yeah. much to it. But I gave the art a five, writing and dynamic a two. Well, the art's outstanding in it. There's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. Future State, Teen Titans number two. Writer Tim Sheridan, art by Rafa Sandoval. It's really not as bad as the majority of Future State, but I don't think it's anywhere near as good as Wonder Woman as Future State Wonder Woman by Joel Jones. Also, we find out the identity of Red X. Turns out he's Speed Racer's older brother. Just kidding, it's Arsenal. <laughs> I was more entertained by this than I was the rest. There's some humor in it. The characters seem more like themselves. The art was good in it. If you're a Teen Titans fan, it's definitely worth your money. I didn't get to read this one yet. Oh, did you not? But you liked the last issue, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I thought this was a very good book. They're doing a Teen Titans book that's supposed to be a lead up to this or something. Yeah, the Teen Titans book is going to lead into what the story Teen Titans Academy. Yeah. Overall, I gave Future State Teen Titans number two a score of three. And to round out the DCs, we've got Green Lantern number 11 by Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp. This is the next to the last issue for this team. Whatever they're paying Sharp, they need to triple it. He's got some beautiful pages in this issue. Look, Sharp is a revelation. His art's transcendent, and he's perfectly paired with Grant in this book. We have one more issue to go, and then we're never going to see another Green Lantern comic as fundamentally profound and true to the nature of the Green Lantern stories as this book has been. That's not saying it's for everyone. That's not saying it's an easy ride, because Grant Morrison is not for everybody, and he's not an easy, simple read. But it's more than worth it. And if you take your time with it, read through it and then go back and look over what you've read and just appreciate that art, there's no way that you're going to feel that this wasn't well worth every dime you put down on it. Yeah, pretty much fantastic artwork from the first to the last page. Not as heavy-handed on the writing for Morrison, like because this one, he sort of just sort of lays everything out and explains it to you fairly mm-hmm. simply and sets up the finale. Also, the Owens want to get rid of Hal because apparently he's not woke enough. <laughs> and and Hal <laughs> is... And Hal is problematic. Well, yeah, but Hal's always been problematic. Now, I swear you. that's what Morrison's saying. That they got to get rid of Hal because he's not woke enough. And... He's not politically correct. Hal Jordan is not a politically no. correct character. Hal Jordan is one of these that says what he thinks, does what he thinks, doesn't give a damn when he's written correctly. And I'm but, pretty sure uh, that's what that scene, that scene may have been a, a little bit of meta commentary with editorial and Green Lantern. Where's my ring? I've got your ring. And he challenges Hal, the look on Hal's face. That sums up everything you need to know about Hal Jordan right there. Fives across the board. I agree. Straight fives. Fantastic book. Image Comics. Homesick Pilots, number three. Writer Dan Waters, art by Casper Winogard. Still weird and creepy in a good way. I like this comic, even though most of the main characters are in a 90s high school glam band. It's entertaining and enough of an edge to keep you guessing. I'm not big on the rock band aspect of it, but I thought the guy's interaction with the punk rockers as he's searching for his friend who is literally trapped and in some ways possessed by the house that she's trying to help. I like that interaction. I was scared this was going to deal more with the rock band than anything else. But by the time we get around to the point of the uh, girl who's trapped inside of the house or connected to the house and collecting the house's artifacts, they could run a whole separate series. I would love to see a separate independent one-shot comic with a five-page story for each of the artifacts that we see she's already gotten back. Yeah, because they sort of rushed through some of them in this issue. Mm-hmm. Very good comic, but I would like 
maybe if they did, maybe give us a little something with some of the ghosts. We're about to see that. We spend the first half of this comic on the human side of the story, and the second half of the comic is her needing help. Yeah. Because she's encountered an artifact that does not belong to the house, and it's attacking her. But it, it really is a good comic. I still highly recommend it. I gave the writing a four, the art of three, the dynamic of five. My score for Homesick Pilots number three was four. Yeah, that's my score too. Also from Image Comics this week, Radiant Black, number one, written by Kyle Higgins, art by Marcella Costa. Albert, I didn't read this book, but you did. Tell us what you think. I think, I believe in the solicitations admission that it would like sort of a pseudo Power Rangers type book or something. Yeah, cross between Invincible and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yeah, that's a fair description to it. I mean, they don't live in like a superhero world or anything like that. It's pretty standard. It's the main character's an adult that has to move back home because he's a writer and like he just can't make it work, so he he moves back home and he goes out with his buddy. There's this little thing that shows up and gives them his powers and they sort of have a little scene with some cops and them trying to stop a train from hitting them and that sort of it. They don't explain where the powers come from yet or anything. They do go ahead and introduce a second character who gets powers, I would assume, very similar to his on the last page or two. So this mostly just introductory standard issue one stuff. It's very good, uh, very solid writing. I actually give the writing a five and the art and dynamic a four on it. That's a pretty good score. I like the costume design. If you read Invincible, yeah, uh, yeah, you'd probably enjoy this book. I'm going to check it out. I just overlooked it when I was going down the list earlier. So high praise indeed. You've given this a score of 4.3. And now, Marvel Comics. No, I'm not at all biased. <laughs> Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood, number three by Various. I thought each story was good in its own right. And like Batman Black and White, I think you want this for the art. If I have a complaint, it's that the red coloration seems overused in a few places. The color usage of the red is perfect in the Mars story at the end of the book, but I felt in Bacalo's story, as much as I like Bacalo's work, it seemed oversaturated. Still think it's a good book. It's an anthology series. It's various Wolverine stories. If you like Wolverine and violence, this is your book. Bacalo's story wasn't oversaturated. It was just a big old muddy mess. I actually think the red helped the red you was, out. Because if yeah. Juggernaut wasn't red, I, I don't think I could figure out what was going on in those panels. Yeah, it was crap. I mean, that art was just crap. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that as, like Albert said, you could not, it did not read. There were entire panels of it that was flushed in red, and I didn't think that was necessary. I mean, it helped with the juggernaut, but I typically do like Bacalo's work, but I wasn't thrilled to death with that particular story. Yeah, he, he made it that way on purpose, it looks like, but it's just yeah. such a mess, you can't differentiate anything in some of the panels. Yes, he made entire panels red for no reason whatsoever that I could figure out. But yeah. he was also using some kind of zip tone. I'm sure it's not zip tone, but some kind of zip tone kind of thing, which made it even worse. On top of his cluttered panels, it just, that story was a hot mess. I don't even know what the heck was going on in that story. But I really like the Mars one, though. I really like yeah. the look and the feel of it. Uh, Jesus Sayez, I really like his work. Wasn't it by Jed McKay? Yes, I think it was. Yeah, he's going to be moving up on my list for sure. He's most amusing. The first story I thought was okay. No, the first story was obvious. The story about Mariko and uh, raising the child and all, that's, that's been told in another place 
noticed this was almost like a different angle, film from another perspective. I gave the writing a three on it. I gave the art a four and I gave the dynamic a four. Art would have gotten a five, but I really did not like the coloration in the Bacalo story. My score was 3.7 on Wolverine Black, White, and Blood. It's hard to give this book a score because it's three separate stories and six creators. I'm going to say Jed McKay and Hazy Says story, all fives. The Bacalo, Donnie Cates thing, I'm going to give, man, I'm going to give ones. That was just such a hot mess. If I could give that one zeros, I would give it zeros. First story, that was average. I'm going to give it twos all around. It's difficult writing anthology books. I just give them an overall feel. I think Marvel and Disney need to give it up. That's Wolverine, Wolverine, no matter how much they want to rip him off, will never be as cool as Batman. <laughs> even He's even way cooler. Even future state Batman, he'll never be as cool as that. <laughs> they need to come up with an original idea, and I gave it straight ones. Wow. <laughs> I'll translate for you. Albert loved the book. He thinks you should buy three of them. <laughs> Here's the problem with the Bocciolo art. The panels are too small. Ooh, that's a good call, yeah. If if this Bocciolo story was like a full comic book length, the same exact story, with the, even the same exact dialogue and writing, you just make them large pages and panels like out of a manga, rather than making a bunch of real small panels and trying to shove as much crap as you can into them. That's even a good making point. these panels big is not going to save the art. I think it would help out considerably. I could see it working better. Of course, I'm, I'm biased. I like Bocciolo typically, but I did not like that story. King in Black, Thunderbolts, number two. Writer Matthew Rosenberg, art by Juan Ferreira. For all of you who have suffered through years of the Suicide Squad, wishing there was an actual good take on that concept, finally, there's a comic that gets it right. A funny, dark Wonderfully written, this is the super team of villains you deserve. No catering to the insane clown posse fans by slapping a one-dimensional Harley Quinn character in it. No stupid boomerangs, just a group of bad guys here to save the world and provide you with entertainment while doing it. This is another success in the King of Black event. I loved Thunderbolts number two. Oh, I thought you were going to say Power Pack number three. (laughs) In comparison to any of the future state stuff, yes. <laughs> well, that's my opinion on Thunderbolts. Watch y'all. <laughs> I like it. I think this is a very good book. <laughs> yeah, it is. In all seriousness. Now, yeah, Suicide Squad has had some great moments and all. Thunderbolts 2 is reminiscent of those. It's good. It's entertaining. It's funny without being too funny. I really enjoyed it. I think it's a I, solid I book. It. I enjoyed it a lot. But- I think it'd be funny if someone ripped off Batrock's legs. <laughs> I I actually like Batroc in this. (laughs) It's the first time I've ever liked him. What are you talking about? Batroc has been very amusing in several things. (laughs) This is a good book. This is a solid book. I gave the writing a five. I gave the art a four. I gave the dynamic a three. My overall score was four. I feel as though I should have ranked it higher because they're going after the ripped in half corpse of... just so weird. (laughs) ...of Sentry. Yeah. (laughs) They're just standing around staring at the... The back end of Sentry. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and knowing that this is Norman Osborn's grand idea. <laughs> yeah. God. yeah, you know you're in a bad, a bad place if you're following Norman Osborn's plans. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
I really enjoyed the story. The art was a little weak to me, but I mean, it worked fine. I think this artist allows the writer to get away with more than he should. And I think that's a good thing for this book. It didn't distract me from the story, but I don't think it added a whole lot to the story, the art. It was mostly black and white, wasn't it? No, it's colored. It's just, it's got that grayish red overtone to it. The writing is a five. The art is a three. And the dynamic is a three. So you give the book a 3.7. Albert, how about you? I give the writing a four and art and dynamic a three. And so you give the book a 3.3. I would recommend anybody that just wants a fun read. It was. It is a, it is a good book. Yeah. The art wasn't as good as it could have been. Taskmaster, number three, writer Jed McKay and art by Alessandro Vitti. Very enjoyable book. Humor in it, but not a humorous book. Still a solid, straightforward plot line to it. Love the characterization of Taskmaster in this. Clever and very entertaining way to illustrate how his powers work. I thought that by breaking, they don't break the fourth wall, but I thought that by coming close to breaking the fourth wall with that, showing what was it, that throw that Captain America used on me. Yeah, remember when I think Matt Fraction did the Iron Fist thing? and he named each of the movements or whatever. So I know that in Kaboom movies, they named each of the movements too. But anyway, so it's like that, except Taskmaster doesn't doesn't know that this is Buddha's palm or whatever the name is of the exact move. So all he knows is where he saw it. It, That time Iron Fist hit me in the gut. Right. That time Captain America threw me out the window. uh, A punch I saw Shang-Chi use or whatever. But it, and, and the cool thing is it's all the lettering. Is it Omnitopia? No, it's not Omnitopia, but like the punch. Omnitopia. Yeah, it's not that quite. It's, but the, the but the move, the punch, the kick is. is what well, had their logos. Right. <laughs> it had their logos. Well, it had iron. It, no, it, had, it had Iron Fist's logo. Everything else was yeah. just different fonts. But it looks like each move has its own logo. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I don't know what the names are. I thought there was solid artwork in it. I think the series is well worth money. I do find it entertaining. I'm enjoying this, and I really didn't think this would be something I'd enjoy. So that's a fun book. I guess capable art. Art art does a good job. So I, I like the art a lot in this one. If you like King and Black Thunderbolts, you'll like this. It has much better art. And it's safe to say vice versa, too. If you like this, you'll like King and Black Thunderbolts. I think so, too, except the art is not as good as Thunderbolts. No, I agree. The art is better in this. Yeah. I gave it fours across the board. I'm going to give it all fives. It was just a solid, fun read. The art was great. The writing was great. It worked perfect. The dynamic with the various logo kit combat moves was was awesome. Yeah, I gave it straight fours. I questioned how that guy didn't know Taskmaster was on him. So. Was hanging off of him. Yeah. <laughs> oh okay, God. yeah, that was the one part I did question because of the cape. <laughs> Really? Well, that's like he should have been able to hear him. <laughs> Taskmaster's face when he's in the bed, the, the bootleg, the particle thing goes off. <laughs> All I have to do now is stay quiet. Me, me, me. Solid book. Does ask you for a little more than normal suspension of disbelief, but it's worth it. And to round out the comic books this week. Eternals number two, writer Kieran Gillen, art by Isad Ribic. I cannot believe I'm liking this book as much as I am. 
Yeah, I really like the issue too as well. I, I really wasn't expecting it because it's an Eternals book, and at no point in time has there ever been a good Eternals comic book in existence, but I guess now there is. When the screws are put to you and you're told to define the Eternals because we have a multi-million dollar movie writing on this, I guess Karen Gillan is the man to call. Considering that I feel about the Eternals only slightly more favorably than I felt about the Inhumans, like you said, Albert, this is indeed an accomplishment on Gillen's behalf to get me this involved in this book. Yep. I loved the narrative line from Earth. That was just absolutely fantastic. The narrator is actually Earth. Yeah. The mechanism inside Earth. That was just... (laughs) Not the word dream. Has more letters and starts with an N. (laughs) (laughs) I highly recommend this, especially for fans of the cinematic universe. This is what you're going to want to introduce you to the Eternals with. So pick this up ASAP. The first one, I enjoyed the first one. First one was slower than this one. The second one's way better. It's promising greatness from the next few issues. Karen Gillen's a solid guy. Well, issue two opens up with the Thanos fight, so it's already you know it hits the ground running. There's not a lot. There's not any build up to it. I actually gave it straight fives. I did too. I gave it straight fives. I don't know what you guys are smoking, but I mean, I expected greatness from this book because Karen Gillen and Assad Ribic they could write the phone book, and it would be awesome. So, yeah, I expect greatness from this book. I think it's delivered. I'm going to give it all fives. Gillen is a very intelligent writer. He's very witty. I hate to compare him to uh, some other British writers, but I I guarantee you, Gillen will always overthink his thoughts and writing. And so you're always going to get something that delivers on multiple levels. And it's usually going to be witty. I, I gave it all fives. It's witty in the best way. There are no yes. punchline jokes or anything. Yes. There was a little bit of a meta text when the character Kingo shows up and they're talking about the destruction, the possible destruction of Earth. And Kingo says, is it a geostorm? I was offered a part in the last geostorm, but I turned it down. That's a meta reference to the actor that's playing Kingo in the movie, Kamal Nanjani. He turned down a part in the movie Geostorm. <laughs> that Jerry Butler movie Geostorm? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So funny. <laughs> That's some of the Gillen dry humor mm-hmm. that goes into it. But like the Thanos dialogue, that is great Thanos yeah. dialogue. I mean, it, it's the best. It, it, it's almost as good as Starlin writing it. You know, these are wonderful caricatures for this. Yeah, fives across the board from all of us on the Eternals. And that concludes the comic book review portion of our program. Wait, wait. That's not the end of the comic book review portion. Well, what is? What did we miss? Oh, my God. There's a new Defenders coming out this summer. I can't review it if they haven't made it yet. <laughs> well, if Namor's in it, we already know the score. That's right. It's <laughs> <laughs> more comic book news that there's okay, a new Defenders coming out. Is Gargoyle in it? We don't know. It's kind of weird. It's I, Okay, so that the cover has the Masked Raider on it and Doctor Strange. And they're trying to save time. And there's a bunch of tarot cards that have different defenders on it. Of course, Namor is one. He's oh, Namor. it's supposed to be a follow-up to all that stuff. We never got follow-up. Yes, yes. Yeah. From that incoming and yeah. Mark 1000 and stuff. Al so, Ewing's behind it, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. Well, he is, but they haven't announced the writer. It's got to be him. It's got that Masked Raider guy on it. it has Hulk and Harpy, Red Hulk, Red She-Hulk. If this is not Al Ewing writing it, I will be very surprised. 
I just assumed it was him with the way yeah. it's reading. But that's coming out in the summer. Keep your eyeballs open. Anxiously await it. Well, let's see. Let's see if anybody else has been fired or outed or anything else since we started recording the program. Ten days ago. <laughs> Okay, we got some emails here. I'm going to start with two that came in today. One of them is very funny, but the first one that came in today, and this concerns our pool list one division update. First email, I'm concerned about Sandra wanting to hit people with hammers. Is this some fetish or is there a history of people being hit with hammers in her past? Does she need or is she seeking help? Seriously, she references hammers a lot and makes no mention of Thor in connection with them. And then they literally type the word signed, a concerned listener, Lorenza. <laughs> All right, I'm going to... Hitting people with hammers is like an Atlantean greeting. It is not. <laughs> yes, it is. What are you talking about? No, it is not. The deal with the hammers is I actually moonlight on another, I don't want to say podcast, but Another recorded review, audio review for my day job. I thought it was my day job because this is not a job. But anyway, I do a short audio review at work. We do this thing called the 20-second challenge. In the 20-second challenge, you have to review your book in that time period. And if you don't review that book, you get hit by the hammer. And the hammer is one of those plastic, you don't really get hit by the hammer. We basically hit the table with the hammer, but it makes this squeezy, squeaky noise because it's a plastic hammer. Like in Roadrunner or uh, yeah. it's a fake hammer. It's a plastic hammer that makes a big squeaky noise. Are you sure it's not because you were one of the backup dancers for MC Hammer in the 80s? Hammer time? No, I was not a backup dancer for them. So basically, if you cannot properly review your book in 20 seconds, a cartoon hammer hits the table. Yes. Okay. You mean a toy hammer? Yeah, it's a fake plastic hammer. Lorenza, I feel that she's answered absolutely nothing about your question. (laughs) But we're going to move on to the second email that came in. Wait, 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 no, 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 no. I will also say this. Yes. How many hours are we into this album? I think we're on hour number five. Sometimes I do feel a violent tendency, a fake violent tendency, which I can exercise. This is all going nowhere. (laughs) Yes, let's go on to the second email. Forget it. (laughs) What? The second email that also came in today is aimed at Sandra as well. And and it reads as follows. WTF is Sandra's problem with Evan Peters. And then it is signed Evan. (laughs) Okay, Evan. That's the good silver surfer, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, quick silver, silver quick silver. That's what I would say. <laughs> I, I apologize, everybody. We're on like week seven of recording this night's <laughs> podcast, and it turned out that's actually silver surfer at the door, not Quicksilver. <laughs> that's, that's your new fan theory. Okay. I looked at the email address it came from, and I think I can safely say that this is not Evan Peters that sent yeah. this. <laughs> Yeah, That's what he wants you to think. Um, okay. In comparing the two Quicksilvers, I find the other Quicksilver, the non-Evan Peters Quicksilver, to be a better Quicksilver. Part of my reasoning for that is... Oh, I think we Ed, all know. Evan Peters has <laughs> Evan had done such a fantastic job in American Horror Story 
But I have a hard time separating him enough from that show to see him in Quicksilver. And secondly, Evan Peters' hair as Quicksilver is much worse than... Who's the other Quicksilver? The other Quicksilver. Sandra thinks Evan Peters' hair is much worse than the other Quicksilver. All right, Albert, you can weigh in on this one. In your last episode, Stan says that in his mind... Snyder actually does think he is responsible for the creation of Superman. Since when does Stan have the ability to know what people are thinking? I think it is just as arrogant of Stan to assume that he knows what's going on in Snyder's mind as any of Snyder's statements or actions may be. Just wanted to pass that along, Aaron. <laughs> His name is Aaron. <laughs> the other Quicksilver. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, it's spelled E-R-I-N. Oh, okay. <laughs> Albert, what is, uh, oh. since when does Stan have the ability to know what people are thinking? Who is the Stan? Why is he such an ass? Why does Snyder think he has the ability to make a good movie? <laughs> See, I thought you were going to side with Aaron there. <laughs> not, Aaron, not, that, not against Snyder, I'm not. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Albert. Aaron, that is rather, it, when once I read that and I thought on it and I did go back and listen to it, it is rather arrogant of me to presume that I know what Snyder or anybody else is thinking. And I'm willing to live with that arrogance. <laughs> Now, moving on for the final email we're going to answer this week. My question this week is for Stan. What direction do you think Star Wars movies need to go in now that the Skywalker saga is done? From Max. Max, I think they'd be better served doing one-offs like Rogue One and Rogue Squadron, which is coming up from Patty Jenkins for a little bit. I don't think we need to reinvest in anything. One thing I can say that I absolutely do not want to see in Disney's Star Wars is the Yuuzhan Vong. I absolutely positively hate the concept of the Yuuzhan Vong and think it was a cheap hack creation to bring them into anything. They serve no real purpose. There is no kryptonite for the Force. There is nothing that can cancel the Force, given the nature of the Force. By the same token, I didn't care for the little weasels that Throne used to have. As much as I love the character of Throne, the little Force-canceling weasels, that was a big no-no to me. Because then you're treating the Force and the concept of the Jedis and the Sith like Superman and Kryptonite, and you're in the wrong damn mythology. So what I'd like to see is for them to take up things like Rogue Squadron, Rogue One, make these one-off movies in the time period, and behind the scenes, maybe get to work on an Old Republic series to introduce. Taking the best elements of the Old Republic from the Legends stories, making it canon in the best way possible the same way they did with Thrawn. They pulled Thrawn out of Legends and they brought him into the Star Wars canon. They did it the right way. He's even a better character than he was before. And that's thanks to Timothy Zahn and his novelizations. There's also a couple of novels I wouldn't mind seeing treated either as animation or, or something else. I really think they should give an animation treatment to... Claudia Gray's book, Lost Stars. I think that that story would lend itself wonderfully to an anime style or even a Pixar style of animation. And I, I think that would be a very valid attempt in exploration. But I don't think we need to delve into a full-blown saga. I'm enjoying the in-between scenes that were going on with The Mandalorian, with Rogue One, 
that Skywalker, Leia, and Han Solo weren't necessarily involved in. I also think there's a lot to be done with R2-D2. And I'm not saying that to be funny or anything. The first six movies are told from R2-D2's point of view. The last three are told from BB-8's point of view. There's been something strange going on with the droids in both the movies and the novels. You can't watch Rise of Skywalker and not know there's a lot more going on with the droids than they're actually coming out and saying. And I can't help but feel that they're working on something behind the scenes about the droids. So that's where I feel Star Wars needs to go. I think Disney will never be done with the Skywalkers at all, period. They will always go to that well. I'm sure you'll see them again, but I don't think that uh, you're going to get another saga out of them. I don't think you're going to get three movies out of them. Mm, I don't know. There's a lot of Star Wars to explore without the Skywalkers that can be done in the same time period. Is any of it interesting to the average? different time period? Well, so far, The Mandalorian, you pretty much like The Mandalorian. You love what they Rogue do. One. What they do? They pulled out Luke. He shows up. He's in the same time period, but it wasn't about Luke. And also, Gorgu didn't leave Gorgu. with Luke. Grogu. 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 Grogu didn't Yoda. leave with Baby Yoda. The child. Grogu did not leave with Luke because he was Luke. Grogu left with Luke because R2-D2 assured Grogu that Luke was okay. Because R2-D2, while Anakin was murdering younglings and everybody else in the Jedi Temple, R2-D2 is the one that got Grogu out of the Jedi Temple. Okay. You say so. I say so. Sandra? (laughs) Reading Taskmaster. Jesus. Is this like the is this like the Muppets below the waist thing? You just don't have an opinion. I'm gonna watch whatever they put out. Is basically it. I'm fairly easy when it comes to Star Wars and Star Trek. Yeah. Oh yeah. New one. All right. I'll watch it. Crap. You don't need to watch. The Stand is about to finish on CBS All Access. I don't know how they managed to take the material from the novel the stand and turn it into such a bland, lifeless nothing of a story. It's almost as though they went through and said, wherever there's tension, wherever there's suspense, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Hack it up. Redo this. This is the worst interpretation of the stand that I that's out there, and it's not worth your time at all. And I'm heavily, heavily disappointed in that. For the love of Pete, the finale or the the penultimate episode that came out last week, God Almighty shows up and eh, <laughs> don't really care. They've got a good cast in it. The production just sucked the life out of them. This was a horrible interpretation of that work. I'm heavily disappointed in it. And for some reason, CBS's treatment of The Stand makes me more pissed off at CBS's treatment of Star Trek. <laughs> Know what you do with Star Trek? Here's how you say and it, and I'm serious. Yeah. Make a children's cartoon of Star Trek. What do you mean children's cartoon? Like a, a cartoon. Like, Well, like, it doesn't have to be like only aimed at children, but make a kid-friendly Star Trek cartoon. It did make a kid-friendly Star Trek. Listen, that old that old cartoon with, with, the, hot, with the hot cat lady don't count. <laughs> I'm 
Count, Counts and Cannon has yeah. part of the Enterprise's voyages. I know how to make it because I actually went back and watched Star Trek II and Star Trek III and Star Trek IV over the last month. Those are still wonderful. And it, it, it rekindled, it made me, yeah, oh yeah, that, I remember why I like Star Trek now. This last season of Discovery just sucked it right out of me. And I even like the cartoon they've got going, Lower Decks. I thought that was funny. But I think it's funny because they're mocking a dead property. And, and I realize that. They're saying they're doing it lovingly, but they're not. They're mocking a dead property that CBS Paramount does not know what to do with. Y'all have also seen that CBS is about to switch over to Paramount. CBS All Access is about to rename itself and rebrand itself as the Paramount Network. Yeah, I think I read that. Did you see what the Peacock's getting? Oh, what's the Peacock getting? Peacock is CBS. Who that is? No, Peacock is NBC Universal. NBC. So they made a billion-plus-dollar deal with WWE. Oh, are they now? Yeah. This is only for America. So what they're doing is, I think it starts in March, the WWE Network, which is WWE's paid streaming service, mm-hmm. uh, will no longer exist in America. Mm-hmm. All that stuff is part of the Peacock's paid Peacock. service. Oh, well. I don't know how that's going to work out for the fans, but It actually works out fine. Everybody comes out good on this deal. Really? Yeah. WWE gets a ton of money, probably more than what they'd make with the streaming service. NBC gets their content. And the way it's going to work, if you've got subscription time left, for WWE, it just rolls over. In, it's the same content and everything. Whatever it's left on your sub for WWE, it just rolls over to the paid version of Peacock. Oh, kick ass. Okay, cool. You get, so really, you get WWE plus the office. That's what that amounts to. Well, good. That sounds solid. All right. Well, that's going to... That's going to wind things up for us this week. We appreciate you listening greatly. We'd like to again thank our sponsors, IVIwatches.com. Type in Kingdom, get a 20% discount. It's actually a 25% discount, and I keep saying 20. Somebody wrote in about that, so I apologize. It's a 25% discount with the code Kingdom at IVIwatches.com. Thank you again to our contributors. We've got a wonderful set of contributors. The one that put me on to the whole situation with Charisma Carpenter coming forward and everything. They're, They're just great. They're on top of things. So thank you very much to them. And of course, as always, thank you to you, our listeners. We are ecstatic to do this. We thank you so very much. We enjoy it week to week, and we enjoy that you're enjoying it, even if you're enjoying it in a way that makes you hate me. (laughs) Like Sandra. (laughs) What? We love hearing from you, so continue to send your questions in on not just one division, but anything and everything, comic books, Star Wars, sci-fi fiction, fantasy. We love hearing from you. Like us, hate us, let us know. Kingdom Casts, that's Kingdom, C-A-S-T-S, at gmail.com. Kingdom Comics at gmail.com. Kingdom Casts and Kingdom Comics on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Again, thank you so much. Do give us five stars. That helps us greatly. Share us with your friends. Share us with your enemies. When you leave the house, tell Alexa before you leave to play Kingdom Cast's podcast so people will think there's still people in your house, even when there's not. <laughs> little security tip there. <laughs> also, don't tell Alexa anything. Don't even own Alexa. It's too late. My techie wife forces us to own these things, and I know the dangers. I don't like it. As a matter of fact, I'm watching Alexa right now light up every time I say her name.
<laughs> but anyway, give us five stars. Share us with your friends. We appreciate you greatly. Thank you so much for listening. Sandra, you got anything to say to him? Sandra checked out about an hour ago. <laughs> Are you there, Sandra? I guess not. I guess we lost, lost around week seven. It, it's... <laughs> It says there's still three of three in the call. It does so, say there's still three of three in the call. Yeah. So, okay, this is great. So now I'll just insert. Oh, now she's gone. Sandra. Now she's gone. So Yeah. Virtual Sandra will answer. So I'm going to have to go kick somebody's ass. So just two seconds here. Albert, you got anything to say? I'm good. All right. Well, thank you again so very much. Please stay safe out there. Do unto others as you'd have others do unto you. And we'll be back for the pull list WandaVision update on Tuesday. So we'll talk at you then. Thank you all very much. Good night. Kingdom Casts is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thank you to our content contributors, Jason Bean, Tim Bryant, Cornelius Burroughs, Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Hatcher, Charles Hickey, Ali Marceau, Joseph Koloski, Katrina Olstead, and Angela Pickett. Logo designed by Geoffrey Gwynn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2021. All rights reserved. Because since OnlyFans came along, prostitution isn't paying like it used to.